I just listen to those scriptures read several more times over and be okay with that. Um, these are beautiful, beautiful scriptures. Um, but uh, I believe that the Lord has, has given me some things to share with you uh, this morning pertaining to these. So if, if you're afraid of heights, I would invite you not to go to Utah, to, Mount Zion, or to Zion um, National Park, and climb Angel's Landing. And I'm just curious, has anyone in here ever climbed Angel's Landing before? All right, so I can totally be making this place up, and none of you guys would know. Super. Um, so this is, it's one of the most terrifying climbs uh, that, that we've ever done. Um, I'll just tell you from the onset, I was actually too chicken to make my way up to the peak of this climb, uh, but my bold wife actually made it all the way to the top without me. So cheers to you, babe. <laughs> um, so Angel's Landing, this, what this is, uh, in, in Zion National Park, uh, there's these two canyons that come and merge. And where the canyons are coming together, there's this huge um, spire or peak that kind of jets out. And so if you, if you are fortunate to make it all the way up to the top of this, you can look to your left and see a canyon coming from that way for miles. And you can look to your right and you see a canyon shooting off that way. And then they come together to form a, a much larger canyon. But in order to get up there, you, you kind of make your switches and whatnot. And then eventually you reach this point where, I kid you not, the path gets so narrow, it's, it's no broader than my shoulders. And to the left, it's an immediate cliff drop-off, you know, hundreds of feet down, instant death. And to your right, it's another sheer drop-off, huge cliff, one false slip, instant death. Um, it is absolutely terrifying. And some people love to do this sort of thing. Um, I, I don't get it. Um, I, I looked at that, at that little portion there, and I thought, no way. Um, if we were a church that had screens, I'd probably put a picture up here and terrify all of you. It would be horrible. Um, but what's, what's guiding the people along this path is this very rickety... No, it's not rickety. It's, 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 not, it's not bad. But there's this chain that's there. About every eight feet or so, there's an iron post with a chain connecting it um, and leading the way. And so there are portions of, of when I was cl making this path, and you bet I had my arm just wrapped and wrapped and wrapped around that chain, and I'd take a little step, and I'd wrap my other arm, and so on and so forth. And for those who are bold enough to hold tight to that chain and follow its path, you're able to reach this beautiful high spot in the canyon where it's absolutely quiet up there, and you're able to see just the reds and the oranges of the canyon. You're able to see the trees that are just kind of nuzzled into the edges of the cliff there. Beautiful birds just gazing overhead. It's an absolute thrilling experience, uh, as, as I've heard. <laughs> this, this opening illustration would have worked out so much better if I'd actually done this. But anyway, you'll, you'll have to ask Molly about it after the service. Um, there's also a lot of bozos on this trail. Um, there's, there's a lot of people who are just kind of jaunting through the thing. It's as if they do this on their weekends, you know, just, just, yeah, just flying up and down this. And they're really terrifying to watch because you're secured to this chain and they're just kind of like, excuse me, and bumping up. There's also people on this, on this path who just have an inordinate amount of gear on them. And it just makes you wonder, like, are you going to slip on, on one of your, you know, gadgets or something? And then you have these sort of bozos of all bozos who are 
taking selfies with the canyon behind them and slowly trying to back up to get the perfect angle. And you realize you're, you're about to die. And like, should I reach out and grab you? In fact, uh, we heard that the rangers were saying that about six people um, have actually fallen off the cliffs and died. Well, this morning we're going to be looking at Paul's letter to the Colossians. And Paul is writing this to, Col- to the Colossians, realizing that there's some bozos in their midst. Um, you know, and don't, don't think that, that I'm talking about any of you fine people here this morning. That's, that's not what I'm referring to. Um, but Paul is realizing that there's some trickery going on here. So there's some trickery going, in, going on within the community, but also without, or outside of the community, external to the community. So in the community, there are some believers who, yes, are praising Jesus and following him, but then they also kind of have these um, other sort of allegiances that they're swearing to as well. Uh, in fact, archaeologists have found like emblems and stuff with various angels' names uh, in this region. And so a lot of scholars think that um, people would kind of have their own protective angel over them or maybe another one of the Roman gods that they're kind of linked up to or something like this. So there's not total allegiance to Jesus within the community. And then also, as you can imagine, in, in the world back then, it's just an absolutely moral, bankrupt culture. Uh, there's just... Uh, they're surrounded by all these occult um, pagan practices and whatnot. There's symbols of the emperor all over and all around that are constantly trying to woo the people back into an ultimate allegiance to the emperor. So Paul is writing the letter of Colossians to remind the people who Christ is and what he has done for them. He's trying to remind them that the Christian life, albeit a difficult climb at times, it has tremendous moments of beauty where we're able to stand on the peak and admire all the different aspects of Christ. And so Paul wants to lift high Christ in this letter, and he wants to assure them to hold on to him. Hold on to that chain, it's as if he's saying to them, and don't slip. So the passage that I'd like for us to look at You'll notice it's split into two sections. Uh, and if, if you had your Bibles with you and you were to look at uh, Colossians 1, starting at verse 15, you'd notice it would be presented in, in a paragraph format. But it's such a, a lot of scholars believe that this is actually an ancient um, poem. And so we've printed it in the bulletin in a way that's, that's a little bit more akin to its poetic structure. And so there's some things that I'd like to say about this poem piece. And I have to admit on the, on the front end, this is one of the most theologically dense, rich, beautiful passages in all of Scripture. For me to stand up here for a few minutes and explain all of it to you is kind of a joke in a sense, because this is meant to be, to be sung, to be meditated on, to be dwelled on. Uh, and so what I'm going to be giving you are just kind of a, a couple little snippets, a, a few teases about this passage here. So what's one of the first things that I want to um, point out in this? Well, first of all, this, this, um, this poem, this ancient song, is very clear that Christ is the creator of all. Christ is the creator of all. In verse 16, it says, By him all things were created. Now, what is it that makes Christianity unique? Well, so we think that this man, Jesus, actually created the entire cosmos. That is an incredibly striking claim, uh, especially in that day. And it's something that all of the scripture attests to. I'm sure that in that... Uh, 
first reading from, from John that we heard, you hear that over and over again. Um, there was nothing that wasn't made that didn't come from Christ. Everything was made through him. So you can almost hear Paul saying, why would you seek after the allegiance of these lesser angelic beings and, and whatnot when you can be serving and worshiping Christ in total allegiance? Place your trust in him and him only, Paul seems to be saying to us. Well, secondly, the fullness of God is present in Christ. Verse 15 says that he is the image of the invisible God. And then later in 19, we read that all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him. Now, we hear that word, image of the invisible God. And it's, it's a metaphor. Um, in our culture, when we use the word image, we usually refer to like a, a, like a photograph or something like that. And so you take an image of something so that you can remember it later, but that, that image is never really the, the true representation of, of what we have in Christ, is, or what you have of that moment, is it? Um, well, a lot of you know I, I have a, a tech background. Uh, I'm a huge gadget person. And in the tech world, when you were, use the word image, it means something very different. Uh, you are, in fact, cloning a computer uh, from one to the other. This was one of my jobs when I was working at Minnehaha uh, Academy is I'd get one computer totally perfect, totally the way that I liked it, and I would create an image of that onto a hard drive, and I would image all the other computers in the room so that they all looked the same. So that bit by bit, each one of those machines were completely identical. And that's kind of the, the, the use of the word here in this passage. Jesus Christ is the exact image of God. In fact, if you want to see what God the Father looks like, you just look at his image. You look at Jesus Christ. And that's one of the best ways to read through the Gospels. If you want to see God's zeal and his heart, you open up Matthew 21, where he is driving away all hints of consumerism from the temple, shouting that his church needs to be a house of prayer. If you want to see God's mind, open up Matthew 5 and read, Blessed are the poor, for they shall find God. If you want to see his heart, open up John 4, where Jesus seeks out the broken outcast who's looking for water in the middle of the day, and he offers to her living water. If you want to see the perfect image of God, look to Jesus. So the third aspect of this poem that I want to point out is that Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus is the head of the church. It's actually a remarkable thing to be reading here because we're seeing that Christ is cosmic. He's the creator of all but yet he is forming a people that he is leading here on the earth to be his representation to the world around. So I think what we see in this poem is that Christ is in all and Christ is for all. So this, earlier this week, as I was reading through this passage and preparing for this sermon, I was hanging out at the Lake Nokomis Community Center. And I kid you not, I'm reading through this, I'm sorry, what? The coffee shop, you're right. I wasn't hanging out here. I was hanging out at a coffee shop. I don't, I don't study in a gymnasium. That's, that's gross. Who would want to do that? So I'm, at, I'm over at the Lake Nokomis Community Center. Ah! It's the only thing you guys are going to remember from this morning. Talking about Christ and the cosmos. And you're like, yeah, coffee shop, okay. So anyway, I'm there. And, and I kid you not, there's, there's this couple um, sitting next to me. And they're talking about these out-of-body experiences that they've had. Uh, and they're also talking about, um, well, the, the man is trying to convince the woman of, of these things in Buddhism called Dharma protectors. And so these are like higher creatures that help 
sort out, uh, as far as I could tell, who help guide souls from one life to the next. And I'm reading here about Christ being the image of, of God, all the fullness of God dwelling in Christ. And I'm like, wow, this passage is so relevant to today. And I think it's, it's easier for us to, to think in our Western mindset that these spiritual realities are just kind of absent and void. But there are so many people out there who have a real concern for their souls, for the safety of their souls after this life. And I think all of us, it's fair to say that all of us are looking for an understanding of this life that brings us peace, you know? And that's, that's what I heard across the table. So Paul doesn't want us to just kind of live in these lofty thoughts up in the clouds. In the paragraph starting at, at verse 21, he continues, and he immediately grabs our attention, and I love the way that it was read this morning. Emphasize this very, very well. He says there in 21, And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So what we see here is that, or what Paul is reminding us, is that we were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. And this is the great scandal of Christianity, isn't it? That God doesn't just remain in the heavenly places, but he actually stoops down and gets with us in those moments. He's not the God who just dwells only up on top of the mountaintops, but he actually comes down and visits us in the valleys of life as well. And he rescues us. He doesn't leave us lonely and afraid. He doesn't leave us confused about what is right and what is wrong. But he actually comes down and he rescues us. And one of the words that just kind of jumped out uh, to me from this passage is there in the middle of verse 22, in order to present you holy and blameless. So that word presented kind of bugged me at first because in our culture, when, when something is presented, it kind of feels like an objectifying sort of thing. Um, it, it can be. It can be hollow, you know, like, hey, um, you know, I, I, here's five bucks. I'm going to give you five bucks, you know, kind of present something like that, or even just as a gift. And it could be objectifying for us to kind of feel as if we are being um, presented. But that's not really what this word entails. Uh, this is a word that, yes, has an element of presentation in that first sense, but it's also a word to meant that Christ is standing beside us and presenting us. It's as if he's standing beside us saying, he's with me. He's with me. Now, it reminded me um, of my ordination service about a month ago. Uh, several of you were able to make it to that, and it was, it was a fun thing to do. But a part of that service is this presentation, right, where I stand there in front of the bishop, and he's dressed in all of his fancy bishop things. And I was standing there, and a bunch of you were behind me, and you were presenting me. And so what the bishop is saying is, who presents this person to be ordained? And there was a, a, you know, a several people who said, we do, we do. Now that wasn't an objectifying thing. It was as if you were saying, hey, this is our guy. We want this to happen. Or it's, it's also saying, like, hey, if he, if he makes make some mistakes here and there, which I'll be the first to say, like that's, there's going to be plenty of those, 
it's almost as if you're saying, we're going to be there to help kind of slap him back into line and, and help this guy out, bishop. And so the bishop's able to say, okay, great. So he's being presented. So Christ stands beside you, not just in the glorious moments like, a, like an ordination or a, um, a celebration or something like that, but Christ also stands, stands with us and presents us in the difficult moments as well. He's standing with you when you're present at the doctor, wait, or hearing news that you didn't wake up that day expecting to hear. He's there with you when you're telling your boss that you can't really send that email because it's actually dishonest and destructive. Christ is standing with you then. Christ is also standing with you when you realize that the dreams of your youth didn't exactly pan out the way that you expected them to. And you're asking yourself, where do I go from here? Christ stands with you. So here, throughout this passage, we see in the first half that beautiful poem, that Christ is for all. But we also see in the second paragraph that Christ is for you. So several years ago, Molly and I moved up here. And to put it lightly, we were really tired. We were exhausted. Um, you could say that there were some bozos on the path that we had kind of bumped up into. And we were ready, um, we were kind of ready to walk away from ministry and just you know, take a, a big break for a long, long time. But thanks be to God, he used our church at Church of the Cross, the church that's sending us here, and he used many of you guys, um, Bailey's, you were in our life group uh, during that season, and uh, you guys said a lot of really awesome things to us um, during that season. And this, this was a season in our life uh, or God used those things to restore Molly and I, uh, to restore our, our sense of calling. And, and I would like to think that if it wasn't for that experience, this church, I, I don't know if it would be here or not, um, based off of what God redeemed out of those experiences and whatnot. And so maybe that's you this morning. You know, maybe you're here this morning and you've, you've bumped into some bozos along the path as well. Uh, well, just know that this is a place where we want to uphold Christ and hold him high so that you can rest in him, so that you can sit on that summit and just enjoy all the beautiful aspects of what it is that Christ has for you this morning or here in this community. And so the, your bulletin, I invite you to take that home and just read through these passages throughout this week. I mean, these are scriptures that just deserve to be meditated on and unpacked. I just pray that the Holy Spirit would speak to you through those services. So know that this isn't a place where everyone has their stuff all put together. It's okay to walk with a limp here. This is simply a place where you can rest in the truths of Christ and the things that he has done for you. So with that in mind, let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, you are King of kings and Lord of lords, and we worship and adore you. Thank you for your scriptures. Thank you for speaking to us through the word, for speaking to us through music, for speaking to us through each other. Lord, protect this flock. May this be a place where we encounter you and are transformed by you all the time. In your name, for your glory. Amen.